Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. You can also connect with me on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Praying Medic. Now let's jump into this week's show. Hey, mate, how's it going? How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty darn good. It's good to have a lifetime hero, you know. I uh, went to an Amway conference once, and don't blow me up for being in Amway. We were all suckered by it at one time. <laughs> and uh, the guy on stage said, uh, if, if, you've got dream, if you've got dreams and goals, you need to write them down. He said, for an example, for everyone in the audience, if you think writing your goals down is something strange or mystical, just write down the names of 10 people that you want to meet in the flesh. Just simply write down their name, and I guarantee you, you'll meet these people in your life. And uh, so I wrote down Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil and wrote his name down. I wrote down Billy Joel. Well, within one week, I met Peter Garrett crossing a street in in uh, in a beach suburb and I say hi Peter we used to listen to your music when we had to get fired up to go out into a big surf and uh, you really rock and he says oh good thanks man and then he crossed the road we were both running across the road and waiting for traffic so I met him within a week of writing his name down I wrote down Billy Joel and within that year I had two per- two people I met who said that introduced me to Billy Joel next time he came to Australia. And I didn't have enough self-esteem at the time to actually meet him, but these were personal friends of Billy Joel that were going to put me at a dinner table with him. So I don't remember anyone else that was on that list. I just remember those two, and both of those people I would have met. Wow. So, yeah, writing down your goals I think is a, is a great idea. And, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to rag on you for being an Amway person. I never got into that. I was, I, I know a lot of Christians were into Amway years ago, you know, the multi-level marketing thing. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's always things like that out there. I don't know. Never really appealed to me, but yeah. uh, writing down your goals is a good thing. Yeah. Well, it, what, why I said that story is you're like a, a Billy Joel to me. Like Skyping with you, meeting you is like, like meeting Billy Joel. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad you don't put me on a pedestal. <laughs> uh, we we always have Billy Joel has broken up from two marriages since I've known him. Oh yeah. Yeah, he he married a young girl. He married his latest wife was a uh, was a girl that he met, and uh, she didn't even know he was a famous singer. Really? You know. He took her out to this um, to this performance on Broadway, and got up in the performance and did three of the songs, and then sat back down with her. and And uh, the next night, it was around about that time of night, and she said, "Shouldn't you be at Broadway to do your performance?" And he says, "No, I only I, I wrote that, you know, I produced that." 
I um I only got up to impress you, you know. I, I don't have to be there. <laughs> at the time. How could you, how could you not know who Billy Joel is? Oh well, she, she was young. I think she was about twenty-seven when she met him. You know, so yeah. he, and maybe she wouldn't know the music from that genre, that era. Like someone at a table said, "Do you know who you're sitting with?" And she she had no idea. You know that that. Wow. that's uh that's pretty strange. So she loved him for who she was, just the way he was, you know. I love you just the way you are, you know. Yeah, he wrote that song for Christine Brinkley, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah a lot of his songs were uh, about his wife or his child, you know. Yeah. So tell us about your latest book project. Uh, are you writing that novel? I am. I'm writing the Bogren novel. Yeah. Although I'm taking a little break right now because I have to redesign my website. Yeah, uh, yeah, because of um, the uh, Sid Roth. It's all Sid's fault. We're blaming <laughs> we're blaming it on him. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Lord had been giving me dreams for about a year, where He was telling me that I was going to have uh, increased traffic to the website, and that I was going to have problems with the website, and that I had some glitches that I needed to work on and some things I needed to fix. So I've been working on those things now, <clears throat> off and on for about, I don't know, probably a year or six months. I've been looking at new themes, and it it's taken me a while to cross the chicken line because there are some there there are some problems when you change the theme of your website. You yeah. can run it. You can run into some trouble. And I set everything up on a demo website, and. I made a change. <clears throat> I, I did it the wrong way. I, I changed themes, and it just destroyed the website. Um, you couldn't see anything. I couldn't get into the into the uh, administrative panel or anything. So I I went back to the drawing board, and I've been working on that for the last month or so. Um. So yeah, the, the I've been working on the website, but uh. Because I went on the Sid Roth show, I had to get some information put together for traveling in the spirit, because that was one of the it was one of the subjects I was going to be teaching on. Uh, they had me record uh, a couple of CD messages, and one of them is going to be on traveling in the spirit. Well, what happened was I was actually working on the novel, the Bogren novel, and uh, I've got about forty thousand words into it, and I kind of ran out of ideas. Um, I, I just felt like I had written as much as I could at that point. And then I had to get this message together for Sid Roth on Traveling the Spirit. So what I did was I started writing. I was just looking to create an outline for those notes. And then I ended up writing uh, pages and pages on Traveling in the Spirit, getting that book together. Uh, those are the two books that I'm working on right now, uh, Bogren, the novel, and Traveling in the Spirit. I'm not sure which one is going to be published first. I'm starting to think Traveling in the Spirit may be published first yeah. because I have a goal of 80,000 words for the novel, and I'm only halfway through that. Yeah. Um, I have, gosh, probably 50 or 60,000 words in the book on Traveling in the Spirit, which is enough content for that book but I have to organize it it's it's not quite organized the way I want it to be so I'm excited about the novel 
Um, I love, I'm finding that I really love writing fiction. Yeah. Uh, much more than I thought. I didn't, I didn't think that I would <laughs> like writing all that much when I started writing fiction, but it's much easier to do than writing nonfiction. And yeah. it's, it's a lot more enjoyable. Right. You don't well, have yeah. to be right, first of all. Right. Everything's subjective. Uh, you know, what a character thinks or believes or goes through doesn't have to be the truth. It can be whatever is presented, you know? Be lining up everything with the Bible, you know? Everything a character says, you don't have to double-check whether it's theologically sound. Yeah, that's what I like about writing fiction. Really, I mean, truthfully, it is. When you're writing nonfiction, like I'm writing all my books on uh, Made Simple books, you do need to, you know, cross-reference a lot of things and check with the scriptures, and uh, that becomes laborious after a while. But yeah. with fiction, you can just write, well, these are what the, this is what they're going to do. Now, the, the thing is, when you read this book, Bogren, you will see the scriptures all throughout the book. But I don't need necessarily to always have, uh, a, you know, chapter and verse for everything that I write. And, and that's one of the things I do like about writing fiction. Very, is, it's very freeing. Yes, it is very yeah, freeing. I, I found the best way to write fiction is uh, to give your, your characters a past, give them a character, give them like a favorite color, how they grew up as in a family, how they, uh, what happened to them when they were young. Like, if they're 20 years old in, in, in the novel, if they enter the novel at 20, what happened for the first 20 years of their life? How were they conditioned? How were they formed? What are their favorite foods? And, and once you've got a good outline of who your character is, then, they, then you just have them saying things and doing things. They, the, the good characters in the novel will drive the novel forward. Right. That's the fun of, of writing a novel is creating this character with a, with a history and a past and, and favorite little things that they like to say, little idioms and attitudes and, and weaknesses that they have. Yeah. I, I'm, I really find it enjoyable to do that. And of course, uh, I'm basing my characters on people that I know for the, for the most part. All right. Uh, so you've got um, – you lead uh... – you leave, it's about demons and angels, isn't it? It is about demons and angels. Demons and yeah, angels. So you've got a person in mind that's a bit of a dark sort of person that's uh, your lead character? I have two lead characters. One is not a believer when the story starts. Yeah. And she comes from a family that was, uh, there was a lot of abuse and neglect. Yeah. And she is so struggles with depression. She has no self-esteem. She is a very um, confused person yeah. and has had a lot of failed relationships. So she, she's, she's actually the main character in the book. And as the book unfolds, readers are going to watch her go through this transformation where she becomes a very empowered, very strong person with a, with a great sense of identity and purpose. By the end of the book, she well, gets she gets totally transformed into another person. That'll be good for so many people. Yes, because it's not it's not clinically talking to them like a textbook, but it's given them a, an empowered example. Right. Well, she commits suicide in the first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad her life is. 
Uh, and of course, the 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 story is that these demons are can, are, are taunting her and and convincing her that she should kill herself. And so she follows the advice of the demons, who she can't see, of course. Yeah. Although although the readers can see and hear what the demons are saying and doing. So you get yeah. this behind-the-scenes look of what the angels and demons are doing to influence the lives of the people. And then, yeah, she, she commits suicide. She ends up going into heaven. She meets Jesus. She meets the Father. And uh, she meets some other people. And then she comes back to Earth. And she lives out her life where she starts being discipled by her roommate, who is the other main character. Right. So she's got a good influence in her life. Well, her influence is her roommate and and her friend, who is actually partially built on Steve Harmon. (laughs) Because when I started this story, um, it was actually a few short stories I was using to illustrate some things that Steve Harmon had been teaching on Facebook. And some people were getting real rattled about what Steve was teaching. They were screaming and hollering, hey, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> you know. So I thought, well, you know what we need is we need some, uh, we need some uh, fictional stories to illustrate the principles that Steve is teaching. So I built this character, Charity, on the ministry that Steve was, had, was doing at the time and still is. So Charity is very savvy to the demonic world. She understands demons really well. She has a lot of experience for someone who's fairly young. She's only 28 or 29 in the book. Charity's the roommate. Charity is the roommate. And Charity is very savvy. So when uh, the first character, whose name is Shiloh, when she comes back from her little trip to heaven, uh, Charity then takes on the role as her mentor, teaching her about, you know, what her dreams mean, teaching her about the spiritual realities of, you know, warfare. And you get to see them working, doing deliverance and inner healing on people. And uh, it's, I think it's going to be a very interesting book. To, it, it, it will, it's really a, what it really is, it is a training and equipping manual for spiritual warfare and the spiritual life, but it's written as a novel. Yeah, it's fiction. Yeah, beautiful. It's so beautiful. I I wrote a novel uh, set in King's Cross, which is our red light district, and I had 16 characters in it that were all had a history of sexual abuse. So I had street kids and prostitutes and a pedophile and a serial killer. And um, so that was my first book. My, my second novel I wrote... Um, about um, two people that become the two witnesses. Okay. Well, they become really popular. They they did a role. They didn't play the two witnesses, but they um, did a role that was very similar as prophets in the world. Okay. Um, so that was the second. Um, I wrote a screenplay with uh, with a barrister called The Breaking of a Barrister, and um, he had a client that was up on sex abuse charges, and um, he got the client off and the client took him to a strip joint that night and uh, the girls didn't like the client and um, and he, he was asking this stripper that the barrister was asking this stripper what makes you do uh, what uh, you what you do he was asking the stripper why does she do what she does and she says 
because because of what your client did to that girl, that's the same reason I'm a stripper and you're defending someone who made me into who I am. Anyway, he starts dating this stripper and um, uh, he um, ends up, at the end of the uh, novel, the client's up on sex abuse charges of another girl and um, and so it hasn't got that double jeopardy rule because it's a different um, person he's accused of. And um, the, the barrister says to him, I'm not going to defend you um, out of his own morals and apparently you can't... Um, refuse to defend someone at law someone can choose you and you have to defend them unless they've admitted to you that they're guilty and uh, he said I'm not going to defend you and he says you'll be disbarred he says so what if I'm disbarred I'll do something else and um, the the um, child abuser says I like the look of your daughter and starts rattling off what school she goes to and what time she leaves school and what class she has and when she takes certain classes at school and um, so the barrister gets up for his opening statement and has an epileptic fit like the 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 pressure comes too much for him and um, it's called the breaking of the barrister and so he didn't have to continue the case because he you know had a fit right um, so, so um so in those years that was 15 20 years ago um, all my themes were around sexual abuse and I was writing out of that pain. Right. Um, but I never published any of my books. When I got the first one uh, ready, the fallen ones, I worked on it for 10 years. Jesus said to me, um, uh, you can, you can put, there was a verse in the Bible um, that says, uh, make, you, make your calling worthwhile, be be." honourable to what you called for or something like that. I read this verse in the Bible and I said to the Holy Spirit, are you saying I can't publish my novel? And um, Jesus answered, he said, you can you can preach in the future, Matthew, or you can publish your novel, but you can't do both. And he said, you're not going to enjoy church tonight unless you've thrown your novel out. And I've been living for that for 10 years to publish my novel and I finally got a proofreader to go through it. I was getting it all ready for the original Create Space to uh, publish it. And uh, so I threw it out that night, threw out the hard disk copy, the, the printed copy, I threw out the whole lot. And um, that night I heard a song for the second t time that says it's, it's only in your will that I am free. And the first time the song had played, it played at a friend's place um, of my mother's and the song played and I told them to play it again and when I played it the second time I started crying and my mum and a friend said, what are you crying about? And I said, I'd throw my novel out if Jesus told me to throw it out. And that was like a big relief for my mum because she's seen so much of my path bound up in that novel. And... Um, so when I went to church after throwing it out, that was the second song on the worship list of songs. It's only in your will that I'm free. The same song <laughs> I cried to six well. months before. Yeah, so um, so I've written uh, fiction before. And uh, so I've written two screenplays and two novels. Now, you have you published the other novel? 
Now, it was published on a website, but then I lost the copy of it. The first one was called The Fallen Ones. The second one was called The Chosen Ones. Okay. And uh, I lost it. They've all been written, but they're lost. <laughs> now I've got 13 books, you know. Like, I was going to be a writer, but I couldn't uh, have that published, you know. Right. My my life story, He's Redeeming Love, is like um, The Chosen Ones, you know. It's... Uh, like the fallen ones um my life story is really graphic you know um yeah what? well and, and the thing is like i said when i mentioned my book the characters are written based on people that i know the character charity is her personality is largely built on my own personality right although, yeah. although she doesn't she doesn't really operate in the supernatural the way I do. She operates in the supernatural the way Steve Harmon does. Yeah. I'm using Steve as the model for that. But her her attitude towards life and her perspective of herself is really more based on me. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that most of the people I know who are who are writers who write novels, they base one of the characters on themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I um the fallen ones I I uh I was addicted to prostitutes for years, but uh, with that book, I had the chance just to ring up prostitutes out of the paper and say, I've written a book on prostitutes. I'd like your opinion. And, you know, at their hourly rate, I'd have to pay them $800. <laughs> but they were so fascinated with the fact that someone had written a book on prostitutes that they'd read it for me. And one of the best interviews I had with uh, one of the women, she said she could see herself in about eight, eight of the 16 characters. She could see dimensions of herself in about eight characters. Um, so uh, I've really thrown the, the sexual abuse out there into 15 characters and, and made it so good that she could see herself in eight of the characters, you know, dimensions of herself. So, um, yeah. I don't know how someone like James Patterson writes 140 books, but... That's, that's, <laughs> Doesn't he run out of? It? See, the thing is, when you're a writer, even fiction or non-fiction, is everything. The whole part of your life is research. Right. Every life, everything you have, every relationship you have, every book you read, every every worship service, everything in your life is research. That's very interesting, and it's true. I've noticed in the last oh gosh six months, when I transport patients who have very interesting stories about their lives, I'm making notes in my mind about a character in a novel that I could base on this person I'm transporting because yeah. I transport some very interesting people who have some yeah. strange things happen to them. So <clears throat> your book on angels is really doing well. Yeah, it, it's a really popular subject, isn't it? It is a very popular subject, and I notice every time I go on Amazon, I see that your book is the bestseller in Angels and Demonology. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a bestseller in that category for quite a while. Well, it's, it's been a bestseller. It's been up for about 10 weeks, and about four of the weeks it's been a bestseller. About four of the 10. It goes to two and three sometimes. It's currently at uh, twos and threes at the moment, but um, but yeah people what what concerns me is that people want to meet their angels and um you know i only met the the angels because 
so I'm set apart with Jesus, you know, like Jesus is everything to me. And uh, so he's introduced me to his helpers, you know. And it's only since the first book I've read, I've started the second book. It's going to be called My Radical Encounters with Angels, uh, book two. And um, in the in the second book, I interview four of my angels, four of my angels speak uh, to to the audience in, in the book. And they say who they are and what they're doing in my life. Um, but I've noticed people have just got this fascination with angels. That's yeah, why they do. Michael, Van, Michael Van Vlyman's books go well, because people are just so into angels. They are. I don't know they why are. It was only because of Michael's book. I read the second one of his books on angels, and I got so excited that I got my video camera out and I said, I I reckon I could do a few videos on, on angels, you know. I reckon I've got a few stories, even if it's just uh, 30 pages, you know. Yeah, and you, I, have, you have more than a few stories. Yeah, well, I, I had 68 pages in that. And then um, then uh, my second book, I had a chapter, which is about 17 pages on angels. My second book um, was hard. I had 10 prophetic words given to me to give me the courage because it says um, uh, my radical encounters with angels meeting angels meeting witches meeting demons meeting Satan meeting Jesus uh, it just says meeting at the start meeting angels witches demons Satan Jesus and more and and the more is the saints and uh, in the demons section I talk about all these false encounters I've had and how I've been deceived and I was worried that if I share the fact that I've been deceived, that people will wonder about my real encounters. Right. And I had about 10 prophetic words uh, speak directly into that book saying, God wants to expose the darkness. He wants to expose the deception in people's lives. So I had a woman that I thought I knew in the spirit that was meeting me in the spirit uh, that turned out to be a demon and you know I was practically engaged to her and um, I went to meet up with her and she didn't turn up interesting and, uh, and so many people in the body of Christ are doing that you know they think yeah. they've got their spiritual relationships and they haven't got them on Facebook they haven't got their phone number they haven't got their email address they haven't got their Skype they've never talked to him in, in any other way except spirit to spirit right and, uh, you know, I haven't got the heart to tell some people it could be deception, you know? Well, the thing is, though, don't you think people need to know if they're being deceived? Well, I mean, that's – I think, you know, I have some friends who have gone down some really dark tunnels in the spiritual world, and they are still paying the price for it. And I know many of them would say, I wish someone would write a book about the kind of experiences I had before I had them so I would know what I was getting into when I started doing this. This chapter in the book uh, exposes that. That's one of the parts of, uh, of uh, the chapter in the book. Okay. So um, I got, had so much warfare, and I'm thinking, why is Satan trying to make me back off this book? And the main thrust of the book is... You can be deceived, right? You know, and um, and I noticed the feedback I'm getting from the first angel book. 
Um, people just want to meet their angel, but if if they haven't got a good relationship with Jesus, what if a demon turns up pretending to be an angel? And I've I've met a false Jesus. I've met a Jesus that appeared that wasn't Jesus. That was a demon. Was the angel of light. Um, so. Are they spiritually prepared if they're hungry and they're going after angels? Jesus, you know, Satan would be very happy to give them a deception. You know, have they got right. such have they got such a good relationship with God that they can be deceived, find out they're deceived, and not walk <clears throat> away from the supernatural? Right, right. So is this all going? Is this all going to be in your second book? Yeah, in the second book I'm working on now. That is going to be another bestseller. I, I, I feel. <laughs> I'm very happy about this one, and I've got uh, someone commented uh, on the first book. I, I had uh, story reflections at the end of each chapter, and I reflected on each of the stories that were in the chapter. Right. Um. In in this book, I've made the story reflection after each story. So if there's something controversial I'm talking about in the story. I can have my point to argue that point in the reflection to say that, you know, I've got a story, for instance, with, with um, an angel, I call it an assassin angel, and it's an angel that's been placed in my ministry to um, punish people that come against my ministry. And um, that's, like, very controversial, you know. Like, that is like, a little bit controversial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I, I I had someone attack uh, me on Facebook and uh, damage wrote to about 300 people out of 400 people on my group, and it was causing me trouble. And uh, Jeremy Lopez had prophesied and said there's going to be a shaking in your life, and everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And so I listened to that prophecy, and that was happening. I was losing friends all over the place uh, because of. Um, my interaction interviewing with saints. And this person was writing to 300 people saying he's interviewing saints from heaven and this is necromancy. And it really come full blown against me. Well, I've reached this stage where I got to a stage to forgive her and it's only her fear and false teaching that allows her to think that I'm practicing necromancy and I'm in error. And, um, I got to this stage in my house where I forgave her and sent out blessings against the like Jezebel witchcraft that was coming against me. And um, I got onto my bus to go up to the shops and this uh, assassin angel got on the bus. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, you've got to dispatch me. And I said, to, he says, it has to come from your authority. And I said, to who? And he said, to that woman that's causing you trouble. And I said, if it be God's will, you go and do God's will. And he said, bye. And he, he left and flew out the bus. Did, well, did, he, was... did, he, did he say, bye, mate? <laughs> <laughs> he could have. And uh, now that was someone that I just spent my whole energies forgiving and sending blessings to. Right. The last thought in my mind at that stage was to cause vengeance to that woman. Um, because I had to reach a stage of peace. It was affecting my depression and everything. And I had to, the only way to fight witchcraft, a lot of Christians say witchcraft can't come against you. Well, I mustn't be living the perfect Christian life because it certainly affects me. And um, 
And the only way to fight witchcraft is to send blessing that way, to counter it with the opposite. Right. And uh, so I'd send blessing to her that she'd, she'd learn and she'd find out the truth and she'd learn the truth of what she's doing. And, um, and I'd send this prayer off to her and I thought the matter was resolved. And then he got on the bus and he said, I'm going to go give her a bit a stiff review. Okay, so this is, a, this is an interesting subject because the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Okay, so the Lord says, look, don't worry about vengeance and, and getting even with people. Let me take care of that. Yeah. I have a way to do that. Well, this, this angel that you met looks like it's one of the ways in which God takes care of those issues. But I think the Lord sent you that angel after you had already blessed her, after you had already reconciled things, after you had already gotten your heart right about the issue. At that point, the Lord said, okay, now you've, got, you've taken care of things on your end. I'm going to take care of things on the other end. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really he's interesting. Told me, yeah. He's told me that as I go in 20 years' time, I've got prophetic words over my life that I'll be like this a uh, lot bigger than who I am now. And um, I'm going to have a reputation that you don't come against Matthew's ministry. Touch not the right. Lord's anointed? Is that what you're yeah, talking yeah. about? Yeah, like that verse is going to come to fulfillment even to the point where people will be accusing me of operating in witchcraft because bad things seem to happen to people that come against me. Um, but um, I, I had a closing thought. There's three ways that you're going to take this book. One is uh, you think uh, a lot of these stories are bad and you're not going to be able to receive it and you want to write a bad review. And I had a note in it, this is not in the book anymore, but I said, for those people think of writing a bad review, think about the assassin angel I talked about. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and then I, I edited that back out of the book because... Uh, Probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I'm, the, I'm the last, you know, I've had people that have really hurt me and I still love them, you know. I'm... Yeah. I'm if they know my, my character, they'd know that I'd really need an angel like that in my life to deal out God's uh, justice on people. And um, so um, all I know is that people through that angel, that's just one of the stories, people through that angel are going to learn uh, the protocol of treating prophets with respect. You know, one time I heard a person, a famous preacher, really famous on TV, he said, uh, you should show to where you're being fed. And uh, if you're being fed by an international ministry, you should show your money there. You, the silo that's mentioned, that the silos that are going to keep your grain, um, uh, he said something that the blessings will only come if you're sowing to who's feeding you. And um, I wrote a, like a three-page article saying, you don't keep your silos in another country. You keep your grain on your property or in a co-op in your town. You don't keep it in another country. So, you know, anyone teaching that you've got to sow to an international ministry because they're feeding you uh, is is teaching error. You should be sowing to your local church and doing an offering to other ministries. And I had it all done and I had the person named in the article that I was going to put up. 
And uh, my friend said, go ahead and publish the article, but take his name out of it. Say the principle that you don't agree with and make your argument, but take his name out of it. And I said, why? He said, because he's a brother in the Lord, Matthew. And don't touch the Lord's anointed. And um, I, I've always learned that, you know, there's there's people that have got professional websites and a, and a whole ministry of being watchmen on the wall. <laughs> anyone, anyone that comes up with that title, watchman on the wall, scares. <laughs> I don't know if I've met one sane one yet. Well, it's interesting, Matthew, because I wrote a blog post about the watchman on the wall because I have read so many prophetic words and warnings from people who call themselves a watchman on the wall. And years ago, I, I understood and I believed that they were doing the best that they could to be guardians of the flock and trying to keep away the wolves and all that, all that stuff. But as time has gone on and I've matured a little bit, what I've really found is that a lot of these people are very emotionally wounded people who have suffered a lot of rejection, who have suffered a lot of criticism, who have, uh, and probably many of them have an overly healthy sense of paranoia. They have a great sense of duty and obligation, but many of them are really a watchman on the wall because they can't, for the life of them, fit into a group of people where they can get along. They get into arguments with everyone. They just have a difficulty in group settings, so they end up being outcast from, from the group. I, I have a lot of thoughts about the watchman on the wall, but sorry about that. That was a little rabbit trail I just went down. No, no, but it's true, you know, and uh, so I've been mentioned on those blog sites and... Uh, oh, know, on, the, um, on the Heresy Hunters? Yeah, yeah. I don't know I if I'm on any... I don't know if I'm on any of the Heresy Hunter websites. I don't go and look for those. I have some friends who they go and, and actually my friend Michael King said, if you want to know who's really on the cutting edge of what God is doing, go to all the Heresy Hunter blogs and check out whoever they're talking trash about, whoever they're defaming and, and ridiculing. Those are the people you want to go to their websites and learn from them because they're doing really yeah, good check stuff. Them out. <laughs> yeah, they're on the cutting edge. Do you know, every, every cult started well. Right, right. Every cult, every cult had a good start, right? And then things got to the leader's head. And he started going uh, off the Bible and stuff. But they all start well. They all want to have a sense of community. They all want to share their goods. They all want to be like Jesus. They all want to be like love. And they all start really well. And um, the problem with these uh, people who post these things is they've only got to take one of your things and then... Apply. These people that are, are great, like people that post on Facebook and post on YouTube, they know thousands of verses and, and, and they believe that the scripture should be used as a sword. And so they get that sword and they run it right through you. you know? <laughs> yes, you know? they do. It, it's meant to be a sword of the enemy, but they actually put the sword through you. Yeah. And uh, they know so many more scriptures than me. And, uh, you know, they could take any statement out of your book and bring three scriptures against it, you know, right. and call you a false teacher or a false prophet. The only reason I get called a false prophet is because I claim to be a true prophet. Like the right. Baptists think the only prophets that are out there 
not all Baptists, but a lot of Baptists believe that the only prophets that are out there are false prophets. God hasn't got <laughs> they they never prophets. write about the true prophets. God hasn't got any true prophets because that gift has stopped. So they, they stopped say. Back 2,000 years ago, that's what they believe. Right. Um, I had no grid for prophecy. I was prophesying in my taxi years before I went into a Pentecostal church and found out it was a gift. You know, people say that you've got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to prophesy. I've been prophesying for years before I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus would just say, tell your customer this, and I'd tell them, and they'd burst out <laughs> in tears and say, how did you know that? So Jesus told me. And there's nothing like a word of knowledge, you know? Like, they know the supernatural's involved. Right. You know, you oh, know yeah, something... when, you, when you read their mail and you tell them things you couldn't possibly know, they, they know that it's, it's not from you. So, you know, there's people that are, uh, have got a whole business and a whole life of apologetics so they can preach the gospel to people. You just need word of knowledge. You start your conversation with three words of knowledge with a stranger and straight away you got their attention. You don't have to prove if there's a Jesus. They know something supernatural is happening. That is a really good way to start the conversation. I tend to start the conversation with, you know, I, I, do you have any pain in your body <laughs> anywhere? Yeah, well, I have some neck pain. Well, let's get rid of that. And you heal their neck pain or you heal their back pain or whatever. And now you have the microphone because they want to know how you did that. Yeah. I mean, if you introduce the supernatural to them, it pretty much gives you the ability to speak to them uh, as someone who has a, a, authority, a, a, authority you, and, a, and a message. Yeah, you've brought authority in their life, hasn't? Have, you know, at the end of Matthew seven, where Jesus uh, finished the sermon on the mount, it says, and the people were astonished. Because he taught with someone like someone who had authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. Right. Like they were astonished. They were astonished because the scribes and the Pharisees, what is it all about with them? It's all about (laughs) the traditions of the rabbis. They just regurgitate what somebody has told them. They, I mean, even today, the rabbinical tradition, Jews are not allowed to believe or, or evaluate anything for themselves. They're not allowed to speak on their own authority. Everything with the, the Judaic culture is all about what do the rabbis teach and what do other rabbis teach. But Jesus came and blew that all out of the water. He, he didn't quote the other rabbis. He spoke on his own authority. Yeah. And that, that is what astonished the crowds. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. That's amazing. Like I've heard it taught that, um, you know, people say a new yoke, uh, like a yoke is what, how you yoke oxen. But uh, um, I've heard it taught that a yoke was a new way of teaching. Like once in a while, a rabbi would come out with a new yoke and it was a new form of teaching. And Jesus had his own yoke. He had his own new teaching. And, uh, and so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, uh, for my way is easy and my burden is light, he said, take my teaching upon you, embrace my teaching. And the point I was trying to make is that Jesus spoke with so much authority, but he just finished summing up uh, half of his commands. It's a shame that the church, by and large, don't even know what his commands were. 
And if you start talking about the commands of Jesus, they start calling you a legalist. Right, right. And Jesus, Jesus said three times in John 14, if you love me, obey my commands. He said in John 14, it, this is how you know you love me. If, if you obey my commands, you love me. If you don't love me, you don't obey my commands. You know, what you were just saying there a minute ago just reminded me of the dream I had last night. How <laughs> good. I, I wanted to share it with you because it's kind of interesting. In the dream, I was taking a look at the, his, uh, the historical perspective of the world and how God waited to introduce the gospel, the good news, into the world because people were not able to receive it. So in the dream... Um, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, God's kingdom, was a message. It was like a seed. And I could see that people's hearts were not right, and they were not able to receive this seed. And it would not bear fruit because their hearts were full of, like, what I would call weeds. People's hearts were full of wrong ideas and strange things and weeds that would choke out the seed as soon as it was planted. So in the dream, God waited until the right time when people's hearts were prepared, possibly, I don't know, but I'm thinking just possibly through the message of the prophets, because the message of the prophets, John the Baptist said, turn the hearts of the uh, children to the fathers. Um, that... God was doing something in preparing people's hearts so that when Jesus came and brought the gospel of the kingdom, people's hearts would be prepared, the weeds would be removed, the soil would be tilled, and they'd be able to receive the good news, and it would bear fruit. That's kind of basically what the dream was about last night. Wow. God really speaks to you well in dreams, doesn't he? Oh, my gosh. I have some amazing dreams. (laughs) It's because you're open to it. You know, like the Lord speaks to me person to person and through the prophetic uh, but uh, from time to time I'll have a dream and I'll put it on a dream interpretation site for people but it's amazing there's this uh, big dream interpretation site that they allow anyone to interpret dreams oh my and gosh about that some of the damage that some of these people are I'm a mature I'm a mature prophet and some of their interpretations is like a sword going right. through me you know right. yeah uh, that's because you know that's because you don't honor god you need to i am planning to meet up with you yep in, in person yeah uh, that, that my mum will be so happy i'm coming back to australia yeah yeah or straya as you call it <laughs> my my friend the graceful banker is going to be getting married yeah sometime in the near future he was the guy who had me come there to Australia the first time. To Brisbane. To Brisbane. Yeah. Well, he's he is going to be getting married. I don't know when. They haven't set a date yet. But it, it may be later on this year. Yeah. So it sounds likely that I will, when they get married, I will be there at the wedding. Yeah. So I'll be coming to Australia, and we just got to get you from Sydney up to Brisbane. Yeah, yeah. I can stay with friends up there. Yeah, we'll figure yeah. out how to get you up there. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just fly up. 
It's a long bus ride. <laughs> I'll fly up. Uh, my son lives in Brisbane, so I'll use the opportunity to visit my son too. Oh, right on. That would be cool. A lot of people have known me for five years and didn't know I had a son. <laughs> well, now I know. Yeah. Um, so that'll be really good because um, there's nothing like face-to-face. I I um, heard some of the comments of people who met up with you when you did the Sid Roth taping, and they were saying it was good to meet face-to-face, you know? It was really good to meet face-to-face. I, I have been friends with these people for years on Facebook, and to be able to sit down and have dinner with them and talk and get to know them and their family, uh, it was just so exciting. I just loved it. I, I wish it would have lasted a week, and I wish yeah. you would have been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, I um, Six people so far have prophesied Sid Roth for me uh, over the past five years. Okay. Uh, like the last person who said it, uh, they did a prophecy and then they added an adjunct uh, under it. And they said, um, in the first prophecy, I said television, but I, I hear Sid Roth, that you'll be on Sid Roth. And um, and I said, uh, it took a lot of courage for you to say that. And she said, yeah, I wasn't going to say it. That's why it wasn't in the first prophecy. And uh, I said, well, you'll be pleased to know five other people before you have said that too. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, that would be that would be good for you um, if your if your next book uh, sells really well, like like this last one did. I'm sure they're going to be contacting you. And uh, have you put in? Have you contacted their producers at all, or done anything? Some, someone, Greg Cook. Uh, Put sending her things to say check Matthew out, but um, I haven't heard anything. But my email's funny. Not all people who send me an email comes to the front of my inbox. You know, okay. I I have to search certain terms like prophecy and stuff, and I find emails written by people in a search. So there's hundreds of emails that come through to me that I don't see. Right. Yeah. So they could have written to me. Um. But uh, I, I think I searched it. I, I think I wrote Sid Roth in there and searched it one time and it didn't come out. Um, but I'm like everything, you know. I've had people say and I've known that uh, I'm going to speak all through through the world and um, I've just been concentrating on my books at the moment, you know. That, that book is going to be popular. Those books are going to be popular in the future. Um, I don't place a lot of... Um, worry like certainly when I got the second book there'd be two books there'd be three books he'd like to talk about he'd like to talk about the two angel books and he'd probably like to talk about um, uh, Great Cloud of Witnesses speak too um, that's certainly something supernatural it's something he's never had on his show Someone yeah I think I think you're right I think those would be subjects that they that he'd want to talk about yeah so um, I'm just really um, so happy to see you uh, get the chance to go on it. Yeah, it was pretty strange. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I really did not want to go on the show. I, yeah. When they contacted me two years ago, I had this. I had a lot of mixed feelings. I really didn't want to do TV. I didn't want to do video at the time. I just wanted to remain anonymous. And you know. I thought, well, maybe I can go on and they can silhouette me in a, in a, in, with a backlighting so that you couldn't see my face. And Denise said, look, 
if Sid Roth contacts you and they want you on the show, you're going. <laughs> she didn't your give wife, me a whole. Your wife is really good for you. She's a good rudder. She is uh, a, a, an amazing blessing to me. She said, "Look, honey, this is an opportunity that God is giving you. Yeah. And this is the kind of opportunity that many people wait their whole life for. Yeah. And she said." You know, if you go on Sid Roth, you have to think about what this is going to do to get your message out to the to a larger audience, to the rest of the yeah, world. Yeah. You have a yeah. very important message. You encourage a lot of people. And if Sid Roth gives you the opportunity to get that message to a lot more people, you would be a fool to tell them no. Yeah. So you've, we, got, you've got this tremendous stable of books. Well, so do you. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that's... Uh, that's the thing. You know, 50,000 or, you know, I don't know how many people tune in through YouTube. You know, you don't only have the broadcast of the show, but you have all the people that watch it yeah. on YouTube. They've got the YouTube how channel. How many people go and get a book of yours? And yeah, then I, a... I don't know. Well, they also have this mobile app that you can have on your tablet or your phone that is available around the world. They broadcast in the Middle East, in Israel, and a lot of... Uh, Middle Eastern nations, they broadcast, uh, their their show is translated in other languages around the world. They have a huge audience. It's it's yeah. massive. Um, I, don't, I don't really know what to expect as far as increased book sales or website traffic. I do have a feeling it's going to increase a lot. What the Lord has been talking to me about lately is doing an online school of supernatural ministry. Yeah, that's like, fantastic. Something like Inside Out. Jason Chin has uh, a class that he teaches, webinar-based class, called Love Says Go. The, the yeah. curriculum is based on his book, Love Says Go. And he basically teaches people about healing and words of knowledge. It's a short class. It's only 12 weeks. There's one, uh, I think, video session a week that you watch, and there are some short quizzes, and at the end you, you have a, a little test that you go through. Um Jonathan Welton has the Welton Academy, and that's an online webinar-based class. So I'm looking at what some other people are doing, and I, had, I would be lying if I said I wasn't excited about this because I told Denise a few years ago, you know, if I could just train and mentor people in the supernatural the rest of my life, I would be so happy yeah. because that would be my dream job yeah, because I just I love training and equipping and mentoring people. And now I have this opportunity. And she said, if you could do that, I would love for you to do that and not work as a paramedic anymore because I think that would be a really good fit for you. So that's the next thing that I have going on is I'm going to look at putting together an online webinar-based class. And I would probably use the Books in the Made Simple series as the curriculum for the class. Yeah. So there would be classes on healing, classes on seeing the spirit, classes on traveling in the spirit. <laughs> and all the hearing God's voice and all the other things. Um, that's, I think, what I'm going to be putting most of my energy into, along with the other books that I'm writing, yeah. is developing some kind of a, a, an online class. That I really get the red lights for that one, man. I've, the green light, <laughs> not the red light, the real green the, the light. The green light? Yeah, yeah. that's, um, you know, our job... I was talking to God today, and uh, I've got this new book. I'm writing Conversations with God. And I was saying, why me? You've got prophets, and you've got 
teachers, why do I have this fire in my heart to teach? Why, why can't you use other people? And he said, there's certain people that you will reach, that the big ministries won't reach them, that they don't relate to the big ministries. I need everybody and I need you to reach the people that I've got to, for you to reach. And so it's quite okay for other people to have ministry schools that you're doing the same sort of equipping. But, you know, that's why Bethel has have uh, outsourced their Bethel school around all the churches in the world because they found a model that works and then they're just, uh, like, franchising it. And so there's always room for us to equip people. I was talking to Jesus it's amazing. I don't like people uh, name-dropping God all the time when they're talking to him, but the fact is so much of my life I'm talking to him. And I say to Jesus, I've got a message for the world. I just wish the world could hear my message. And Jesus says, I wish the world could hear me. <laughs> and, and I said, what do you mean? He said, if I wanted to give one message to the world, I'd have to release it through about a 1,000 prophets. And a 1,000 prophets would have to release the exact same word. And that wouldn't happen because everyone would think they're copying each other and there'd be too many egos involved. But I wish I could speak to the world. I'm just like you, Matthew. I've got a message for the world. I wish they could hear me. It was so profound because I'd been stewing on it for ages the fact that I've got this message that I want to share with the world, and did I have Jesus relate and say he's got a message? He'd love to, you know, <laughs> Jesus. Jesus would really like to get a YouTube video and have everyone in the world watch the YouTube video. He could sort people out in a few hours, you know. He could start speaking for a few hours, and everyone in the world would be sorted out. It, it's just amazing what he could do. But he chooses to use little people like us to equip his world. Exactly. And every one of us has a message from Jesus for the world. And whether you're a big name prophet or a nobody, you have a sphere of influence and you have to step out in faith and deliver that message faithfully to to the people who will hear it. Yeah. So... Um... That that brought a lot of peace when he said that to me, that uh, I'm not the only one who feels I've got a message for the world, um, that he too has got a message for the world, that he wishes he could. He can't release it. See, someone like Bill Johnson or Chris Balaton, he may, reach, he, he, he may release this message that Jesus has got for the world or God's got for the world, but... Chris Valaton's only got a certain audience and not everyone hears that message. You know, like right. you'd have to get a thousand different Chris Valatons to get the message out there. So he just uses the little people like us. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's empowering. It is. You know, he used 12, you know, in the Jewish tradition, they used to go to uh, Jewish school when they were young uh, kids and they had to learn the Torah. And for them to do their bar mitzvah, they have to uh, you know, recite a whole lot of uh, the Old Testament text. I think they had to recite the Torah. But whatever they have to do, when they went to their Jewish school to do that, to get their bar mitzvah, 
the rabbi would pick the most studious students to become rabbis. So Peter, when he's out in his boat and Jesus came up to him, when Jesus said, follow me, that's what a rabbi used to say to one of his studious students, is he'd say to the student, follow me, and that would mean that he'd be indentured to the rabbi. So when Jesus came along the Galilean and and said to Peter, follow me, he was a rabbi saying to Peter, come and be my indentured student. It's not just like someone coming along to us and say, follow me. But why would these guys drop everything that they... I could never understand that until I heard that story. Great. That, that follow me means that you're going to be indentured by me and I'm going to train you to be a rabbi. And um, it's so interesting hearing the Bible taught from someone who knows Jewish background. Yeah, it is. You know, like when Peter cut off the ear, you're not allowed to have an imperfection on your body uh, to be a high priest. And the guy who cut the ear off was in line to be the high priest. And when Peter cut his ear off, he didn't miss. He could have cut his head off, but he cut his ear off on purpose by saying, you're taking my Jesus, I'm going to stop you being the high priest. So oh, okay. he disqualified this guy from being the high priest. And Jesus grabbed the ear and put it back on and said, you can be the high priest even though you're going to crucify me. And, uh, and Peter, that would have meant more to Peter that he put the ear back on. It would have would have sent the message with he who fights by the sword will die by the sword. It had a stronger message to Peter saying, I'm not allowing this guy to be disqualified. Yeah. The whole Bible, uh, whenever I get around people who know Jewish backgrounds, the whole Bible's just alive. It's just like talking uh, uh, American football to you and hamburgers. You know, <laughs> Yeah, Jesus came into their day and started talking about Big Macs and you know and, <laughs> and Ford Ford cars and and everything that they relate to. Right, right. He lose so much, and that's the thing. I I love prophesying over teachers because teachers they've just got a thousand questions. You know, like you, you've always got a hundred questions. I you've do always, have. No, I do have a lot of questions. Yeah, and they're not answered, and your ears are open, and whenever someone mentions that subject of that question, you're really listening, you know? I, tr I try to. Hear, you hear what they say, and then you either accept what they say or you reject it and say, no, that's not the answer. Yeah. And we're constantly doing that every day, every book we read, every sermon we see, everything we're doing, we're accepting or rejecting the answer to our questions. Right. And when you've got enough questions answered, you write a book. <laughs> that is, uh, that's very true. That's what I, that's what I do. I mean, you know, my first book uh, on healing, what happened, people don't understand how that book came about, but really what happened was as I started to operate in healing and started to see people healed and as God was giving me dreams about healing, people started sending me messages on Facebook hey, I've got a question about, uh, you know, why does this happen? And I got this question. I prayed for this person and nothing happened. And I prayed for this person. They got healed. And then 
I saw them two weeks later and the, their sickness came back. What's that all about? So I had all these people sending me messages on Facebook asking all these questions. And in a combination of looking through my dreams, looking at my own experiences, I started sending these messages back to people. And then I realized um, someone would ask a question and then a week later, another person would ask the same question. And two weeks later, I'd get the same question. So I thought, okay, I can't do this. I have to write out some answers to these questions. Yeah. So I, I started writing documents, uh, three or four paragraphs long, to answer these different questions. When someone would send me a question that I had already answered, I would copy and paste that, that answer oh. into the message and send it to them on Facebook. Well, what happened was um, I started keeping these documents, and after a while I had a pile of about 20 of them. And someone said, why don't you take these and write a book based on these answers to the questions. Yeah. And I thought, well, I don't want to write a book. I, I, I'm not an author. I, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to answer people's questions. And then more people said, this information you're giving out is very valuable. If it got into the hands of a lot of people, it could help people understand the whole dynamic of healing, words of knowledge, deliverance, all that stuff. And then I kept writing and these documents got more and more. And pretty soon I had about 30 of them. And I thought, yeah, I, I really do need to turn this into a book. But but you're right; it's all about answering people's questions. That's what yeah. the, that's what books are all about. And you know, answering your questions, and answering your questions. You know, there's a book that's coming from me uh, that's going to be um, how to live a set apart life. Okay. How to live a life? How to live a life where all you've got is one computer? a DVD and a TV, and that's the only asset you got. And everything that you earn goes back into the kingdom. How do you live a satisfied life like that with none of the world, none of the flesh, and from time to time buying TV shows? But when you watch the TV series, when you watch the shows, God's speaking to you all the way through the show. So even when you're watching TV, you're in communion with God. And God's actually using the plot lines in TV shows to teach you things. How do you live this set-apart life where you've got your purpose, you're talking back and forth with God, and you're living in your purpose and you're living this set-apart life? Like Jesus said, uh, he that wants to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Well, the word, the words deny yourself in the Christian world is just, abhorrent like no one's written there are i make broad statements but there's not many people talking deny yourself you can be prosperous you can have a prosper you can have a life of prosperity and still be denying yourself you right. know right. um take up your cross it used to be the sign part of the punishment of the cross was carrying your cross the whole the whole audience used to see he's a criminal he's condemned to the cross people would be spitting on you and mocking you on the way to the cross well this idea of carrying your christianity in such a way that you stand out to everybody people don't recognize that you know i had a toastmasters meeting i'm really enjoying 
enjoying it more than going to church. And last Toastmasters meeting, I was doing words of knowledge and, and telling people all about their lives. And each of them, <laughs> each of them experienced professionals. And they were saying, do me, do me. And then I'd, I'd do that person and they'd say, that's so profound, that's so true. And the next person would say, do me, do me. Like I was a psychic at a, at a psychic fair. You're the um, Jesus psychic. <laughs> and uh, I won so many hearts to myself. Uh, so that's taking up your cross, being different. And then follow me. How can you be a follower of Jesus when you don't do what he taught? Right. You know, it, I, I say... You've got a lot of readers like Healing, healing uh, Made Simple, uh, Divine Healing Made Simple. There's, there's three categories of readers who've read that book. There's people who've read it, understood it, and are applying it. There's people who've read it, understood it, but haven't broken through to applying it. And then there's people who read it and just put it aside and didn't even try to apply it in any way. People that downloaded it and didn't read it. You want to move those bottom three up to the top. The purpose of your, your healing school, the purpose of your supernatural school, is you want to get the people who've read it, who've applied some of it but aren't getting results, you want to get the people who've read it and decided not to try and apply it, and you want to get those two groups of people and take them to the top where they're applying everything you're taught. Right, exactly. There's nothing more frustrating, as you know, than to have someone read your book, be excited about it, but not try to apply it to their yeah. life. It's uh, all, all I really want from people is to say, look, if you try this, <laughs> if you step out when you go to the grocery store and you see somebody, just go up to them and say, hey, can I try to get you healed? It is a little bit frustrating for me to know that people have read the book or they downloaded it because it was free or 99 cents, and then they never even bothered reading it. Yeah. They, they don't yeah. understand how much it would change their life if they would actually read it, and then when they read it, if they would actually step out and apply it. I don't know if I've... Uh... I think I've read it to start with when I didn't have the understanding, but I'm in that category that haven't applied it. But I think um, your My Craziest Adventures with God could be um, could be retyped, some crazy hit, some of my crazy healing testimonies, or something that says these are testimonies. Right. Uh, that My Craziest Adventures with God doesn't tell you what it is. You've you got to focus on your Amazon author page. When someone has skirted in to know you through one of your books, then you want your author page to tell everyone specific books that you've also written. So that, that's what I've noticed. The sales of my other books have gone up since I had the Angels book out there because they go and they they go to the author page and they see another book and they say, I'm interested in that. Great. So you want to be able to grab them with the title. And honestly, your testimony book put more of a push in me to the point where I asked someone, could I pray for them, um, uh, you know, one time. Um, and those books could even turn out to be more important than the actual book on how to do it. 
Yeah, it's interesting because God has been speaking to me about those testimony books and the importance of them, even though they don't sell nearly as well as the training and equipping books. But yeah. God, God has been telling me that they are very important. Yeah, they uh, are very important. They're actually more important than the equipping book because you want to put people through that funnel. You know, they want to hear stories of, of how you've done it. And, and see, you even say in the prayer how you actually say the prayer on the people and you say, this. I don't know the healing language, how to uh, restore muscle and all, all this prayer language that you say, that you're able to say, but I don't have any clue about saying. But those, um, I wrote a review of uh, Healing uh, Craziest Adventures 2, and I wrote a review of uh, on on your book on that one, saying that it, it fired me up, you know. <laughs> and um, uh, people need to be fired up because as teachers, uh, uh, you just I really wish I could just get my mind and give it to someone. But like, re remember Jesus? He had three thousand followers. I think it was 3,000. He had a whole, he had a, uh, wasn't 3,000. He had a whole load of followers. And he said, if you, if you don't drink my, my blood and eat my flesh, you can have no part of me. Right. When, when the Holy Spirit told him to say that, when his father told him to say that, in his flesh, he would have said, I'm going to lose everyone here. Right. right? His flesh would have said, I'm going to lose everyone when I say this. So he said it, and then he turned around to his disciples and he said, aren't you going to leave me? And Peter says, where can we go? You all hold the words of life. Well, when you do meditation on that, Peter was saying, Jesus, I know that you're telling me to break the law. I know that you're telling me to break the Jewish law, but I believe you're greater than the law, and I'm going to follow you. That's what he was essentially saying back to Jesus. Exactly. He was so convinced that even though he couldn't understand it, he was going to follow it. Well, we want Peter's, you know. People pick on Peter. But everyone picks on Peter because it's actually got his failures in the Bible. But who else? You know, the Holy Spirit told me one time, why did Peter deny Jesus? Because he was the only one following Jesus. <laughs> All the rest had run away. Right. If right. you want to be in a position to deny Christ, but put, I've got no problems with guillotines coming out and cutting the heads off. I've told the Lord I'll be the first one down there on camera saying, I'm a Christian, I'm getting my head cut off, praise Jesus. And I'd be gone. Right? Everyone's scared of getting their heads cut off. Um, but Peter, Peter's, the th good thing about the Bible is it tells all the bad stories. There were 12 disciples in the boat, and only one of them got out of the boat and tried to walk on the waves. Yeah, he did. <laughs> He's amazing. And he, I mean, he, he screwed up, and he made some mistakes, but the, he made the mistakes, and he failed because he was really the guy who was the most fired up. He was, he was engaged in the moment. He was excited about what Jesus was telling him to do. He had the faith, and he, had the, he believed in Jesus. So much that when everybody else was lukewarm, well, I'm not sure if I want to try this. Peter was like, no, let's go for it, Lord. Yeah. Jesus told me that um, Peter, Peter was uh, 
his ideal student because he was the first one to ask a question and he was the first one to try and answer a question. He was so fast at putting his hand up to answer questions that Jesus had to take him aside and say, I want you to give the other disciples a chance to answer the question. I'm not going to pick you first from now on, not because I don't know, think that you've got the answer, but because I want the other disciples to have a go, right? So I am going to pick you. So that's why when he said, who do you think I am, that Peter answered third and said, you're, you're the Messiah, the son of God. That's why he was third, because he was told he couldn't answer the question straight away because he was purposely getting picked third or fourth time because Jesus knew he had the answer. So he's the first one up to answer a question, and he's the first one to ask a question. He was so hungry. Right. And the only reason I know that he was told that he wouldn't answer the question first was because I travelled with an apostle, and the apostle told me the same thing. Let the other people try and answer the question question before you put your hand up before you speak it's not because i don't think you've got the answer because most times you have got the answer matthew it's just i'm trying to teach people things and they need to step out and try and answer the question so peter was that person he was the first one with his hand up with the answer and he's the first one to ask why and ask a question about something jesus was teaching and um so they're the things you find out when you have a conversational relationship with Jesus. They, you can actually ask him about his disciples and he'll t tell you about them. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, Peter, uh, I, I've seen Peter turn up in, in my second angel book. Uh, um, I talk about Peter turning up at church when people preach on him. He comes down and sits down and listens to the sermon. <laughs> To see That's how they awesome. treat him. To see how they treat him. You know, they all talk about Pentecost. 3,000 people are coming to the Lord. But when Peter healed the person at the gate, 5,000 came to the Lord through one healing. They say, you think this is a great thing? This Jesus that you crucified healed this guy. They don't know that beats Pentecost. <laughs> that was one testimony that wasn't even a sermon Peter was just on fire and Peter's shadow healed people here's something in the great cloud of witnesses Peter used to walk every morning through Jerusalem a set path around Jerusalem people from other nations and from other cities used to line their people up on the side of the road along that path Peter used to debrief his disciples every morning and have a meeting. Instead of meeting in a room, they used to walk around Jerusalem. And as he walked, their shadows fell on all the people and everyone was healed. Peter was healing more people than a Benny Hinn crusade every morning. Wow, that's amazing. He, he had an amazing ministry. Have you ever seen the Jason Chin video where he got that lady healed? on the on the bridge by let, walking past her and having his shadow fall on her. No, I think someone do that. It was but great. Yeah, he has it on a YouTube video. I posted it on my website a couple of years ago. Jason uh, is out there on a bridge. I'm not sure what which bridge it is, but it's some long, you know, expansion bridge. And he meets this woman, 
he gets a word of knowledge about her injury that she has. And he says, can I try something with you? He says, the Bible says that when uh, people would lay their sick along the streets so that the shadow of Peter would pass over them and they would be healed. He goes, I'm going to try this with you. I'm going to walk past you and I'm going to let my shadow fall upon you and see if you get healed. So she said, sure, whatever. You sounds crazy, but I'm up for it. So he did. He just walked past her. His shadow passed over her. And then he said, okay, well, how's that pain now? She goes, well, you're not going to believe this, but it's completely gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's fantastic, isn't it? It's, it's awesome. It's amazing. So many people, you know, Jesus asked me once, this is uh, uh, How to Hear from God, Made Simple, your, your book, this is on this subject. Um, Jesus asked me once, do you know why people can't hear me? And I said, I'm not sure. I want to know. Jesus asked questions that you don't And he said, do you know why people can't hear me? And I said, I want to know, but I've got a feeling that I don't want to know. And <laughs> he said, people can't hear me because they're afraid of me telling them something to do that they don't want to do. So they just close their ears and they play church and they play religion. And Essentially, that's it. You know, like I had a deacon at a church that I was with, and I was trying to teach him to hear from God, and um, and he said, "I had a feeling God told me to stop drinking," and I said, "Well, that wasn't religion. That was actually God. He wants you to do that for a season, and and see if you can cope without drinking." And then about a month later, he said, "I got a feeling that um." that the Lord wants me to take this stud out of my eyebrow. And I said, well, that could sound like religion and that could sound like something Satan says. But in, in this instance, how important is that stud in, in your eyebrow? And it, he was getting identity out of it. He was using it to say, I'm different, I'm out there. And taking it out would would not make a statement like he was making. So in that instance, I was able to show him how it was in the interest of Christ for him to represent himself without that stud. You know, when, when you look at the things that Jesus told the disciples, he told them some very uncomfortable things. And I think yeah. you're right. I think a lot of people are a little bit afraid that if they are able to hear Jesus very clearly, He's going to tell them to do something they really don't want to do. Yeah. So, so, they, uh, so religion is a lot easier than yeah. taking a risk of having the Son of God tell you, "Look, this is what I want you to do." Yeah. Because and, uh, it, because if you once you once he says that, it's really hard to say, "Well, I don't feel like doing that today," or "I don't really want to do that," or "I," you know, maybe that was a, a false Jesus or a demon speaking to me, not the real Jesus. Yeah. Because he could tell you to do some uncomfortable things. Yeah, I, uh, I one instance of that was the year 2000. We had the Olympics in Australia. And I walked out to a place called Circular Quay where all our ferries go from the city. And they were all watching the Olympics on these big screens. There was like outside the bars, alfresco dining and stuff. And there were all these people at these bars watching these uh, big video screens of, of the Olympics. And Jesus said, um, I want you to tell these people that I created everyone. 
And the best sportsmen in the world are best sportsmen in the world because I created them. And you shouldn't worship the sportsman, but you should worship the creator. And I said, what do you mean? He says, tell him. And I said, now? And he said, yeah. And I said, but that's embarrassing. He says, you're a schizophrenic. You can do it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I said, all right. So I shouted out this uh, thing, and everyone stopped watching and listened to me. Right? I shouted out in this loud voice. Then I called a ferry to Manly. I was with a Maori, and uh, they do the noses together, welcome to other Maoris. He met another Maori. When he was talking to this Maori, he got hit with this piece, and it was so strong I couldn't stand up. I had to sit down. I was just, I've been stoned before, and that's what it felt like. I was under this real heavy stone. Right. This piece was, uh, was, I, I can't describe it was just amazing and i said jesus what this is the good thing about being up to hear from god you can ask him questions and i said jesus what's this for he said that's your reward for shouting out to those people <laughs> here's your payment you know, you know what's interesting about hearing the lord's voice more clearly is he is going to continually challenge us to think outside our little boxes and to get outside of our little boxes of religion and who we think God is and what we think life is all about. But the thing, the cool thing is, if you are willing to listen to what he says and take the chance and do it, it always turns out in an amazing way. Yes. Because Jesus is never going to ask you to do something that he hasn't got the perfect time and you have the anointing to do it and you have everything that you need to do what, to obey what he's asked you to do. Yeah. If, if you are willing to put aside your fears and apprehensions and do it, it always turns out yeah. so much it better does. than you can imagine. He does ask for some hard things sometimes, but, you know, I wasn't doing anything that day. We were just walking to catch a ferry. We are going to catch the ferry to Manly to the beach anyway. And so I was on my way. He didn't take me out of my way. And it only took 30 seconds to actually say it. And all it had to do was whether I was embarrassed. Well, the fact of the matter is I don't know any of those people. If that was in a church where I knew people in the church that might have been more embarrassing for me to shout out. But I didn't know anyone there, and soon enough I'm going to be walking away, and it's going to have no effect on my relationship. Set me up, and I said it. And <laughs> the, the best place to be a raving lunatic is in a place where nobody knows you. Like, well, yeah. Denise, Denise and I will go shopping someplace, and uh, I'll say, you know, I, honey, I want to go over there and pray for that person. And she goes, oh, this is going to be so embarrassing. And I keep telling her, Honey, we're never going to see any of these people again. They're never, they don't have no, any idea who we are. We go over there, we pray for this person. Then we go on and we have lunch and they'll never see us again. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it can be embarrassing, but, you know, there is the point that it's just a bunch of strangers. You know, yeah. they, they don't know you. And some of them are going to be very impacted by what you say or what you do. Yeah. And most of them, an hour or two later, will completely forget about it. Yeah. I, um. I, since I uh, wrote uh, the second book with uh, my four angels where they spoke through the book, 
I've been communicating with him uh, when I go to sleep, and I've got one angel that's like the CEO, like the angel over my angels, and um, every time I go down to the gas station, he comes with me and we talk. So if I'm not talking on the phone to my mother, I'm talking to him. So we're building a relationship. Since I've been talking to the, the angels, I realize how effective they are, like the Holy Spirit in a person's life. So give someone a prophetic word about um, and uh, the fact they're going to get a job or the fact something's going to change in their life. Or sometimes I ask people about their life. I just have a normal conversation and a need comes up, like they're going for a job interview, and I ask them for their name and I say, I'll pray for you tonight for that job. Um, so I know that if they get that job, their angel can say, remember that guy on the train said that he'd pray for you to get that job. So all the time I'm having opportunities to say that I'm going to pray for a person. For a, It's up to God to actually answer that prayer, but God will get the glory. And I know now that their angel will, or the Holy Spirit, either of two, will have them remember this guy on the train that said they were going to pray for him. So um, when you say they, they don't remember two hours a time, you'll be surprised that uh, people can remember things for years because their angels or the Holy Spirit can remind them. Yeah, I guess in what, I was, what I was thinking of is in the context of if you're in a crowd, a shopping mall, and you're afraid of looking foolish in front of a bunch of people, most of those people... You know, they'll, they'll, oh, they, remember, they'll remember what you said, but, but you know, they're not going to dwell on it. But for the person who was impacted by that, by what you said or what you did, you're right. The Holy Spirit is going to, if he wants to bring fruit in their life from that experience, he will bring it to their memory. And they will not be able to shake that, that thing. It'll, it'll come back to them and they'll think, wow, that was really amazing what that one guy said. I remember when he did Hillsong once, and I go to Hillsong once in a while, you know, everyone knows who Hillsong is. And I walked in and there was a woman on the sound desk, um, and they got this big sound desk, you know, big professional thing. And I walked up to her and this prophetic word shot at her for about 30 seconds or a minute. And then as I was um, leaving, I walked past the sound desk and I said, we able to process that? She said, it's so amazing that you did that. She said, I asked the Lord six months ago for an answer to uh, a question and I had some concerns about certain things. And I said to the Lord that I want you to bring a total stranger into this church and for them to tell me th these answers. <laughs> and, and you came in and told me, you know, you came in and did exactly what I asked for. She said, you, you've got no idea how, ma how much that meant to me. And I said, well, I knew I was led to um, come here today, so you, you look like uh, you were the reason why I came. And, uh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, my, my pastor came up to me the other day and he said, you speak, you speak with authority, Matthew. You speak on issues with authority because you've, you've lived the pain, you've lived the depression, you've lived the suffering and you're persevering. And because you are persevering, you have authority in that area. Yeah, that is that is so true. You know, as I look at my own life and I look back at the things that I've been through, I, I 
it, life would have been nicer if I hadn't have to go through those things. But without going through them, I wouldn't have the experiences and I wouldn't have the empathy with people who've been through it. And I wouldn't have the ability to, to talk as one who's been through those to people who are going through it now and to be able to encourage them and say, look, you know, there's a way out of this. It does give you authority. And people, one of the things we've talked about this before is transparency about your own struggles in your own life. Readers really love, they love to read books from, from authors who are transparent, who can talk openly and honestly about the things that they've been through because it helps them realize they're not alone. Someone else has been through what I've been through. And this is some encouragement and some instruction that can help me get through it myself. My favorite part of a book is when uh, an author starts to talk about his story, starts to share a story out of his life. It's sort of, you could be falling asleep with the book, but it wakes you up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So many books I don't read. Like I said to, um, I said to Al Mack uh, that um, I only read 20%. He said, 20% with a question mark? He said, that many. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you read, you read the title, you read the back cover, you read the reviews, and you still get a done book. <laughs> <laughs> you, do you read a lot you know i'm going to be honest i don't read as many books as my wife does denise ha has a kindle and she downloads a lot of books I, I do read some i'm very particular about what i read though and i and now i have a lot of friends who are writing books and they're sending me their manuscripts hey could you read this book i, I just wrote can you give me a review can you give me a uh an endorsement. So I'm getting books from people who are friends that, that they all kind of want me to read their books. And uh, I generally try to make time to read them, but I've been so busy working. Yeah, I'm so busy working and writing my own books that I don't have as much time to read books as I would like to have. I'm really blessed that Denise will read to me at night when we go to bed She'll pull out her Kindle and she'll will read a couple of chapters from a book that she's recently downloaded. She was reading me uh, that the book that you wrote, and that's she really loves your writing. I just want to let you know that okay. <laughs> I do too. I think you have a very engaging writing style. You do write from a, a lot of interesting experiences, and your heart is very authentic. And we really like the way you write your books. Yeah. Thanks, man. That means a lot. Um, I know you had your identity in Christ in Great Cloud of Witnesses speak, and I wasn't which, sure which one you'd been reading, you know. Um, but um, both of them would come out okay. It, it's just It was a Great Cloud of Witnesses that she started reading to me first. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. They're, they're on audio book now. I'm on your case to get audio books done, but you just got no time. Oh, gosh. I, I keep telling Denise, all I need to do is have three or four days with nothing to do when I could sit down and read through the manuscript and record the audio and then upload it. We are going to be doing that. I think we're either going to do Traveling in the Spirit as the first audiobook, or we'll, if I have time between now and then, I will try to do the one on Seeing in the Spirit. So, yeah, I, I need to get on that. I've had more people re request the audiobook because they do, they're driving or they're on 
ferries or they're on airplanes and they would really like to have the ability to listen to the book. So, yes, I, I appreciate your encouragement and we are going to do that. Yeah, I know I'm on your case. I know through ASX or AX, whatever it is, the one that Amazon advertises, uh, you can pay those uh, audio guys a fee to actually, you pay them $200 per recorded hour or $400 per recorded hour or um, or you can do a split where they take 50% of the commissions. So if you're still talking about doing it in a year's time, I'd suggest you do one of those deals and have someone else read it. No, I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I've been talking to you about six months now. <laughs> you have been talking to me about this for a long time. But the people who have been suggesting this to me have said, we really would like you to, re to read your own book. We, we would like to hear it in your voice. Um, I, I have had a number of people offer me the opportunity to do the voiceover and to do the, to do the narration for my books. I've turned them all down because I really do feel like, Matt, you know this about me, I'm a do-it-yourself person. I yeah. try to do everything myself. I'm yeah, re yeah. I read it. Most people would take a new website design, redesign, and they would give it to a web designer and let them take care of it. I'm doing that myself. Yeah. Um, you know so much more than me about so many things, you know? Well, I want to learn. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong learner, and I want to learn how do I create this website? How do I do the back end of it? How do I you know, install my own security on my website. How do I, I, I as, as much as I have to do these things, I really do enjoy the learning process. Yes. And learning how to do an audiobook is going to be a process for me where I get to learn how to record an audiobook. One of the big reasons why I started doing podcasting is that I was fascinated with learning the process of how to put together a podcast. And yeah, how to, it's complicated. How to do the recording and the editing and how to create the feed and how to get it on iTunes and all that stuff. It's a, there's a lot of work involved in it, but it's a very complicated. I looked it up the other day, and I said, oh, "I'm not going to be doing this anytime soon." There are a lot of moving parts to getting a podcast put together and then syndicating it on other networks. But it was something that I really had a good time learning how to do. So, yeah, I, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to keep the audiobook in house. It's going to be something I want to do because I think the readers would enjoy it. And it's going to be a good process for me to learn how to do that. I love you, man. I love you I too, look, man. I look forward to meeting you in the flesh and giving you a hug. God bless you. You have an awesome day. God bless you too. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about this show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.